0: Hello and welcome to this episode of Equally Funny, a podcast where we take an issue related to social justice, break it down and hopefully make you laugh along the way. My name is Kate Rogan. I'm your host. Uh, With me today as co-host is Heather Elaine Abbott. Welcome, Heather. Thanks so much for joining us today.
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: Okay, so want to tell the audience a little bit about you, Heather. So Heather is a Chicago-based performer, writer, filmmaker, and most importantly, TV enthusiast. <laughs> I I am there with you. Uh, you can find links to her web series and short films at heatherelaineabbott.com. We'll also include that in the show notes so people can click on it. And you can follow her on Twitter and Instagram at The Habit. That's adorable. I love that. Thank you.
1: I agonized for far too long to try to have a pithy cute little Instagram Uh handle and I was like if I had more confidence my bio would be the habit you just can't quit but I have yet to reach that peak of confidence to go for it
0: (laughs) I think you know I think 2021 could be your year though maybe I like the habit that you just can't quit yes is I think that, my did I get it right?
1: <laughs> yes the habit that you just can't quit I think my favorite uh, bio I've ever written though was for tinder mm-hmm. and it is not to brag but I'm exactly like the other girls <laughs>
0: <laughs> I laughed real hard right into a hot mic but I'm, it's great like that deserved it that was great I love it Thank you. I am just Thank like so all much. these other ladies out here yes sir Ma'am, I,
1: I, yeah, yes, sir and ma'am go for both. But mm-hmm. men don't get it. I have gotten so many people, so many men who have started a conversation by, well, what are the other girls like? Oh, no. Mm. And then I've had a lot of conversations with women who are like, I loved your bio. And I was like, clearly, you're my target audience (laughs) yes
0: yeah maybe i'm honing in on something here that i need to pay attention to (laughs) so heather we're just gonna like we've done some banter let's do a hard pivot into our topic of the day i love
1: Um, a hard pivot just a quick heel turn straight into it
0: yeah and kickball change, we're going the other way. Um, so today we're talking about diet culture. And I think that it's always helpful to sort of uh, set the stage of our discussion with some like definitions, right, both for ourselves to get on the same page and for our audience. Mm-hmm. Um So in order to do that, I thought that we could start with a little multiple choice quiz that I'm going to put towards you. A pop quiz? It's a pop quiz. (laughs) It's in a segment (laughs) that we're calling Let's Get Definitional. Okay, let's do it. Okay, so Heather, which of the following three options do you think is the definition of diet culture? So is diet culture A? A Reddit community dedicated to elevating a lifestyle designed around Diet Coke, drinking it, cooking with it, decorating with the cans and bottles, and ultimately taking down Diet Pepsi. So that's mm. option A.
1: Okay, okay.
0: Option B is Diet Culture, a t-shirt shop based in San Francisco that creates opportunities for customers to get deeply in touch with the tie dyeing process while learning about the city's counterculture history. Do you get it? Diet Culture.
1: Oh, okay, okay. I see it. I get it. I understand. <laughs> mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. You're welcome. Um, Thank you so much. <laughs> so that's option A and B. Now. Okay. Diet is... Diet
1: Coke Life is uh-huh. A. Incredible Pun is B. Give me some C.
0: <laughs> okay. Ready for option C or is diet culture. A shitty system of beliefs that worships thinness and equates it to health and moral virtue, promotes weight loss as a means of attaining higher status, and oppresses people who don't match up with its supposed picture of health, thus disproportionately harming women, femmes, trans folks, people in larger bodies, people of color, and people with disabilities, damaging both their mental and physical health.
1: Okay. Okay. Wow, this is hard. I know I wish diet culture was B, a fun San Francisco shop promoting tie-dye clothing because nothing's Mm -hmm. more fun than tie-dye, but I think I'm gonna have to go with C, this really shitty system that we're all living under and we've been living under for far too long.
0: Oh, Heather, you win, but we all lose because it is option C. (laughs) Oh, man, the most
1: bittersweet
0: win in the world. Yeah. Although I do. Honestly, I feel like diet culture might be like my retirement plan um, that I've just come up with.
1: Yeah. Just open an adorable little shop Mm -hmm. right by the ocean. A bunch of surfers would love it. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: And like, I feel like it could be like one of those like new, like a reincarnation of like the paint and wine like <gasps> nights that you get to have Ooh, yes. you get to like tie dye and like have cocktails uh, maybe mm-hmm. yeah all right yes. but it is it is option c and i did i pulled that definition from christy harrison's website i'll include a link to it in the show notes so people can find it it's a bit of a mashup of several um several definitions of hers but uh i find that it's really a helpful place to start so mm-hmm. It's this shitty system of beliefs that does all sorts of damage. I thought um, up next, what we could talk about is sort of like some of the history. And I did some research for the history. And then um, we'll dive into current stuff, current ways that diet culture is still being an asshole. I love it. But up first, let's go for some history.
1: Let's go for it
0: great I'm glad you're on board
1: Thanks. (laughs) let's hop in our time machine go back Mm -hmm. to the past see if it was as bad as it is now (laughs) (laughs) is the past as bad as 2021 I'm not sure I think probably bad also but different like a different accent of bad
0: yeah exactly just a different flavor yeah Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) um Okay, so obviously, like, want to do a quick disclaimer, like in a 45 minute podcast, we can't like cover everything about diet culture. What? (laughs) There's more
1: to learn than 45 minutes can contain?
0: I'm so sorry. I just, I can't talk that fast. I don't think it'd be a great experience for listeners either. You know, like it just, it can't be done. It's like reminding me of like that Micro Machines guy from like those commercials in the 1990s. I don't know. I might be aging myself here. If pe- people out there who understand, understand. And if you don't, you're too young. Yeah. <laughs> um, Take that Gen Z. Exactly. Exactly. Let's set up a false, uh, a false war with Gen yep. Z. Yeah um
1: that's what we're actually here to do we're not here to be funny about troubling systemic issues we're here to start a culture divide between different generations hi sorry gen z yeah that's another great podcast (laughs) hi comma sorry gen z
0: yeah (laughs) That's it. That's (laughs) -hmm. the concept. Okay. Uh, I love that tangent, but back to diet culture history. Okay. So, diet culture is wrapped up in historical developments and larger cultural trends, such as, but not limited to, religion, racism, industrialization, immigration, and more. We're going to give sort of like an overview of some of these key developments as it relates to diet culture. So, a great place to start for this is the 1800s. And Mm -hmm. industrialization is like taken off. So think... Uh, factories and people Mm. moving to cities and like food becoming more widely available poverty also thrown in there because of course um, (laughs) you gotta have it yeah but to like help us paint the picture heather i'm wondering if you have like a favorite 1800s era like period piece that really Mm. seems to like sum up the flavor of the era for you.
1: Ooh, um, I, fun fact about me, not mm-hmm. that into historical fiction.
0: <laughs> really? Okay.
1: <laughs> yeah. I I'm not, I'm not super into it because I feel like I, I don't know, I feel this is a whole other tangent. I just feel weird uh romanticizing um the past when there were like these incredible oppressive societies. And I also feel like, you know, as a person who, you know, wants to create you know, write and create things. I, I don't know why write things in a time when it's an excuse to not cast people of color, when it's an excuse to not cast disabled people. Like, so I just don't like playing in that playground. And so I don't really watch much of that stuff either. But what's your favorite 1800s period piece?
0: Like, I I feel like I thought a lot of those things about period pieces. And You've just articulated them in a way that I'm like, yeah, I was already, I was thinking a lot of those things,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and at the same time, the <laughs> costumes. I um, mean,
1: beautiful,
0: beautiful costume, beautiful <laughs> restrictive clothing. Oh just, yes, ah, <laughs> uh, so many corsets. <laughs> yes, yeah. Oh yeah, speaking of the thin ideal. Um, mm-hmm. I, I guess, like, one of my favorite period pieces that came to mind was North and South. And mm. it's actually all about sort of, like, this woman moving from, like, Southern England to Northern... This rich girl moving from Southern England to Northern England. And how she finds it very hard to be in an industrial town. Mm. Um, but it's also about sort of, like, the rise of the demand for cotton, like, as a okay. mass-produced fiber. Which I found really interesting, but it is very white. It's very white. Oh
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> um, so you know, some good, some bad, but great costuming in that episode yeah, as well. Beautiful, beautiful costuming.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Okay, so we're we're in the industrial period. Yes. Um, and it is causing all sorts of changes to the status quo. Like we said, people are migrating to cities. Food production is on the rise, and as we just touched on, we also have the introduction of mass produced clothes that people can buy in stores with like sizes that are dedicated Mm. to them. Up until then, people were wearing clothes that were either like custom made and very expensive or like custom made and made at home because that's the only way that clothing got made. And so it's just really fun that like, I think in the 1800s, there had to have been some people in fitting rooms in stores, (sighs) just like... Going through something we've all been through in a oh, fitting room.
1: Yes. I mean the the fact that we go to a public place, go behind a little door and take off all our clothes and put on other clothes other people were naked in is wild. <laughs> It's an <laughs> insane <concert>. soundtrack. <Shocking. laughs> <laughs> and then you add in the fact that they're lit horribly. I mean, maybe back then it was like candlelight, so like you looked kind of mm-hmm.
0: cute. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm.
1: you know, just terrible lighting. None yeah. of the clothes fit because I'm sure they hadn't figured out sizing then. Just like they haven't made universal sizing now.
0: <laughs> no, no, it, it's been a crapshoot from from the jump. <laughs> yeah, one hundred percent. Okay. So as we have like the rise of fitting rooms, um, we also have sort of people and society having a lot of reactions to all these changes to the status quo, generally not great reactions to change. I think mm. uh, that's also a theme that just keeps showing up. <laughs> in oh, all of,
1: yeah. People all with stuff. all the power don't mm-hmm. like for anyone else to have any power
0: yeah yeah exactly um and so i found this quote from historian emily Contois, and i'll include a link in the show notes um she said in the mid-1800s the rise in immigration led to middle-class anxieties part of the rise of a thinner ideal to define a middle-class american citizen was this contra distinction to the stout sturdy immigrants those are in quotes because That's not something I would say. Um, No. (laughs) Yeah. But it is, uh, it does help sort of define what was going on with some of these middle class anxieties. Also, around this time, super fun racist theories on evolution are also making the rounds. Love it. uh, To support the lie that white dudes from Northern Europe are just the bee's knees and everyone else belongs under them in the hierarchy. So bigger bodies and physical traits associated with non-white, non-cisgender, non-heterosexual, non-aristocratic men from northern Europe were deemed less desirable and started to be seen as sort of markers of less civilized cultures. So they would you they would go out and like measure people from different like ethnicities and origins and try to make like big, broad sweeping statements about about sort of civilization and um, health and desirability and morality based on these measurements when we know that people measure all differently within and across (laughs) ethnicities and races. So it's very interesting.
1: Can you imagine the flyer that they put in the town square that's like, hey, come on inside. I Mm want to wrap some tape measure around you Mm -hmm. and only mildly verbally assault you while I do it.
0: yeah oh and also you have to try on these clothes in the you- fitting room for <laughs> extra for an extra experience
1: for an extra experience please take off all your clothes just behind the store i promise yeah. i won't look mm-hmm. uh but i will berate you the entire time
0: yeah. yeah 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 great and we're gonna use this to make judgments about everybody about and everything forever mm-hmm 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 So at this point, like thinness is being associated with success, power, whiteness, masculinity, morality, and civilized societies, whereas bigger bodies are being associated with people of color, in particular, black people, immigrants, women, and quote unquote, less civilized groups of people. And I thought that this was was interesting, because having the historical context is kind of helpful, like, So thinness becomes an external marker of success and desirability and as another way to uphold racist, misogynistic and heterosexist hierarchies. But all of this work to like create a thin ideal predates what we commonly use today as a reason for stigmatizing people in bigger bodies, namely like health risks. Mm -hmm. Right. So like all of this foundation is already laid before we even get into the idea that like being in a bigger body is a health risk to yourself. In fact, in this era, the medical establishment wasn't all that concerned with people putting on a few pounds. But as thinness continued to be associated with markers of success and power, people started yearning for ways to achieve thinness in order to be part of this very homogenous Club that was being established. And here in my notes is where I wrote, Cue the diets. Here they oh, come. We found them. We <laughs> yeah. found them. Yes. Yes. And I'm not going to go into the details on all the diets because we don't need to be pushing more sort of like harmful advice out to people who are getting it every day in their Instagram feeds. But I do feel like, in order to feel like I've done my job in terms of historical research, we'll talk about sort of the first dieting book that showed up on the market. It was in 1864. It was by a gentleman named William Banting, who I believe was a retired undertaker at the time when he wrote it.
1: So he's like, quirky.
0: (laughs) He's like a quirky dude. (laughs) He's like a quirky 1860s dude who just wants to write, you know? (laughs) I just want to,
1: you know, I'm all done touching dead bodies. I'm Uh ready to write my great American novel on. Mm -hmm. Fat shaming. Yeah, here we go.
0: (laughs) Everybody get ready. Um, So this is sort of like often cited. uh, It's his book titled The Letter on Corpulence. Um, (laughs) I think we should
1: pause on the use of the word corpulence, which we just don't hear enough, I think. Let's bring corpulence back in 2021.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and like reassert it with like some positive um, attitudes. I love it. It's a good word. Yeah. It feels good on your mouth saying mm-hmm. it. You know,
1: corpulence. It's a four-dollar word if you count dollars by syllables, like we yes. did in elementary school. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: That's fast math that you also did in your head. I <laughs> It may that. also
1: be wrong. I'm not good at math. <laughs> nope, it's a three-dollar think- <laughs> word. <laughs> it's a three-dollar word. <laughs> I overestimated. <laughs>
0: Hot update. It's a $3 word. Just three syllables. We we were overambitious.
1: For everyone keeping track at home, corpulence is a $3 word and it feels like it should be used in Charlotte's Web.
0: Yes. Mm-hmm. I love That's a great summary of the word corpulence. Yeah okay so So back to
1: quirky banting and his little banting
0: yeah um so he was a retired undertaker when he wrote the book essentially it was like advice for this diet that had worked for him for losing weight initially right it was low carb lots of meat and six servings of booze a day to help with the meat constipation apparently
1: (laughs) because you need the
0: alcohol poops to help with the meat constipation (laughs) yes so already just like uh uh-huh diets don't work (laughs)
1: well i mean spoiler alert pooping is gonna be a major part of some of current diet culture is trying to just get people to poop more than their body wants to poop
0: yeah yeah Ah. well i feel like that is a great transition (laughs) into modern era. (laughs) Yeah. Let's just go ahead and like do another hard left turn. But that is just a quick overview of some of the history of diet culture. And then also sort of like how dieting kind of started, but we'll pass it over to you because I hear that you've done some research on current like state or present day impact of diet culture.
1: I sure have. And I can tell you I'm mad. <laughs> I'm just mad about it. Um, so, you know, in the I would say like there's a very pervasive idea of body positivity just like radiating through social media right now. And it's been kind of co-opted and distorted and taken away from the original introduction of it. Um, but even despite people shouting love your body celebrate your body people are still uh constantly affected by the diet culture that's been a part of our society since uh the 1800s <laughs> it yeah. seems um
0: yeah.
1: I mean if you just like look at social media especially as we are you know approaching maybe the pandemic being over I don't know it feels risky to say that because Who knows what will happen? You know, more more and more people are getting vaccinated, talking about losing the weight that they've put on from the pandemic, because naturally people have just not been as active. They've been just kind of vibing for a year because you had to. The world was bad Mm -hmm. (laughs) in a different way than usual. Um, (laughs) So there's just a lot of talk on social media about losing that pandemic weight. I mean, we see it every year as the year ends. I think the most common New Year's resolution is to lose weight. Um, Mm. People talking about beach bodies as the summer approaches, talking about fitting into their swimsuits, all this stuff. It's so rampant, even as people try to preach body positivity. You feel it in your brain. Um, And I think social media plays such a big role in it, especially through influencers and celebrities on Mm. social media. Not that they actually use the things they're trying to sell you. Um, I think one of the worst uh, criminals in diet culture is flat tummy teas, which are literally laxatives, talking about poop. And they, um, I read an article about flat tummy tees and the way that they invaded Instagram. And some people who worked for flat tummy tees, um, who were interviewed anonymously for the article because they worried about reprisals from the company, mm-hmm. talked about the way that they were given. Uh, profiles of different Instagram um, influencers to go after. They didn't want people who were like perfect body. They wanted people like stay at home moms, like a lot of mommy bloggers um, to, and they didn't even care if they used the flat tummy tees. They just wanted them to promote them,
0: but I get these moms out here, like hustling yeah. for this product. Yeah, because yeah. it's, it's like really insidious though, because it sort of is like, okay, we'll make it so it seems achievable. Right. Yes. Or like like realistic, like it's actually working when, yeah, according to this article, it sounds like they're like, oh, no, we don't care if they actually use the tea. Like zero
1: percent. They don't yeah. care at all. Um, They want people who are aspirational to be their influencers, people who look like they've got weight to lose. But like if they just adjust their body in the photo, oh, look, they lost it. You know,
0: mm-hmm. those classic mm-hmm.
1: body checking posts people do. Mm-hmm. Um. But in this article, they also talked about that in 2018, this terrible company created this giant marketing campaign in Times Square of these billboards for appetite suppressant lollipops.
0: Oh, cool. So it's a diet, but it's candy. So <laughs> it's, it's candy. So it's fun and cute and quirky. <laughs> yeah. And you should probably like give it to your
1: kids. You know? Yeah terrible and there was I mean it's like 100% targeting teenagers targeting women um and there was a a giant backlash against the company um Jamila Jamil um who she was on The Good Place if you ever watched that show she was a model and a presenter in the UK she has a um a company maybe a company definitely a podcast called <laughs> i weigh um and she does a lot of activism maybe. on twitter
0: <laughs> maybe she's also being aspirational and it's like i'm gonna start with a podcast but then we'll grow to a company we'll be a company yeah, yeah. <laughs> um
1: but she's like constantly calling out mm-hmm. diet culture and the way that people are body shaming um but she went off at flat tummy tees when this (laughs) happened um and flat tummy tees just not didn't even address it
0: um
1: so yeah you see these like sneaky little things and they're like we're not a diet we're a tool we're something to help you um and they legitimately don't work (laughs) they're not helpful the active ingredients in them do nothing Mm -hmm. um So that's like some of the stuff you're seeing on social media. I'd say another big thing on social media is the shift to the idea of wellness culture, which you talked about a little bit in the history of like previously diet culture was viewed as like a class symbol. Your weight was, you know, did you have money? I mean, Mm -hmm. it's still that way. Spoiler alert. Um, (laughs) But wellness culture it like prioritizes health and it has the idea that like you could look at somebody and tell if they're healthy or not and you can't (laughs) you just cannot know looking at someone's body what their health is you don't have their blood tests you don't know what their cholesterol is you don't know these things there are plenty of fat people who are more healthy than skinny people um so wellness culture and self-care and this historic take on body positivity has found, it's like, it's like a villain in a movie was like, what if I take off this mask and put on a different mask and then they won't know it's me and they'll trust me for a little bit. Um, yeah, but like, in that <laughs> analogy, I do feel like
0: we are sort of like the people in scooby-doo like we should know better by now right
1: we should know that you're like it's obvious
0: it's this villain it's obvious it's this guy right (laughs) can we just cut to the chase where we but no like it's it's so insidious and it's so sneaky and it's just repackaged and sold to us in a different way that like hits all these sort of like you said, like aspirational sort of, um, like things in our head that we make it seem like losing weight is the solution to everything. Yes. It's, it's written up as this, like, like once you lose the weight, you'll be successful, you'll be desirable, you'll get this, you'll get that, you'll do, you'll be able to do all the things, you'll have money, you'll have power. Yeah. And it keeps getting repackaged, even if it's, um repackaged as like a wellness solution sorry that was a mini rant I just went on by myself
1: it was was a great rant um and talking about that rebranding I mean I think Weight Watchers is one of the biggest like most pervasive companies that has been a part of diet culture for so long and also so instrumental in so many eating disorders because it's all about counting calories man Um, way to go
0: Weight Watchers way to go but in
1: 2018 they were like they they did a hard pivot, just like this podcast likes to pivot, and they were like, you know what, we're gonna we're gonna be about wellness now. We're gonna really we've we've heard we've heard your critiques. We're internalizing it. We're taking it in. We're not Weight Watchers anymore. We're WW. <laughs> there we go. We fixed all the problems. Um, and their tagline was wellness that works. okay cool love that so much uh but you know that same year they also offered free subscriptions to Weight Watchers to teenagers so you know same villain different mask
0: yeah still still a problem still (laughs) still a problem yeah yeah
1: and the the CEO of Weight Watchers um going along with this rebranding, uh her name is Mindy Grossman. Uh she told I feel Fortune... Like, I'm
0: sorry, we yeah. have to pause. Like that is that is a villain name. Mindy I'm sorry. Grossman. <laughs> I am so sorry to anybody <laughs> else who has the last name Grossman. But like She is in the Scooby-Doo
1: mask. (laughs) (laughs) Mindy Grossman, she was wearing a ghost mask. She took it off. She put on a werewolf mask. And she said, healthy is the new skinny. Um, Which is just, you know, so summing up this like pivot that we've seen between the idea of diet culture and now talking about wellness culture. And speaking of wellness culture, we've got to talk about a couple hot fad diets that all your friends are talking about And debunk them because they uh, are not great. So I think one of my most pervasively heard diets that I hear people talk about is the keto diet. Mm -hmm. Um, Just a quick summation, not endorsing it, literally telling you it's garbage. Don't do this. Um, It's low calorie, so it's inherently restrictive, um, Mm -hmm. which is so common in diet culture is restricting types of foods, restricting the amount of calories, which just makes your whole life about food. Um, And then you're obsessive about it, but it's low calorie and high fat. And the idea behind it is that you're eating so much fat that you're tricking your body into burning fat for energy instead of sugar, which is called ketosis, which is where it got the name. Mm. um and uh i read an article that was debunking it um which i will put a link in the show notes yeah. <laughs> i can do that too mm-hmm. um and
0: <laughs> we share the power on this podcast <laughs> show noting.
1: Yes. um but she the woman was talking about how um this can inherently lead to deficiencies in vitamins because it's trying to cut out carbs and sugars as much as possible so you're cutting out Fruits mm-hmm. like fruit is such a no no on the keto diet because of all the sugar in fruit, which is absurd. Why would you follow a diet that tells you don't eat fruit? Fruit yeah. is good for you. Look at the food pyramid. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, I do feel like there are some flaws with the food pyramid. I but... mean, growing
1: up, the food pyramid was like eat as much pasta as you can. Yeah, just <laughs> handfuls of of pasta all day long. Yeah, <laughs> uh, maybe don't eat much candy, but like mm-hmm. if it's a carb, eat it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they've yes. like
0: adjusted it slightly, but I feel like the bread lobby is in there, or like the definitely, meat... yeah, big
1: bread was big like. Bre- <laughs> Big Brett said, make the kids feel great eating Hawaiian rolls for every meal. Yeah. And yeah. I did. I felt great doing
0: it. Oh, God. yeah. <laughs> so good. But yeah, um, like, I agree. It's like all of these, a lot of these diets are so focused on like cutting shit out and yeah. trying to like hack biology, right? Or like sell yes. you the lie that you can hack your biology. And it's like, yeah. mm, your, your body is pretty good at what it does. And it. Yeah. engages in a whole slew of behaviors to be like no man you gotta eat yeah yeah also spoiler
1: alert um this is referencing uh, something i read in which i'll talk about later aubrey gordon's book who she's a fat activist uh Mm -hmm. what we don't talk about when we talk about fat she talks about a lot how when you diet your body holds on to things because it is freaking out it's freaking out it goes into um, a starvation state. And it's like, hold on, let me hold on to all this stuff. I don't want to let it go because I'm not getting what I used to have. Um, and your body will actually slow your metabolism when you are Mm -hmm. restricting your calories so that you are not processing things as fast. So your body doesn't want to lose weight. Your body wants the weight to do its job. Mm Mm-hmm digression Um, sorry
0: yeah
1: (laughs) but the the other thing about the keto diet you know deficiencies in vitamins um and also the high levels of fatty foods can lead to health problems for some people like there are people who are like i had type 2 diabetes and i got off it with i didn't have it anymore because of keto um but the woman in the article was talking about how like sure maybe that worked for you but like a lot of people with type 2 diabetes need carbs Like Mm -hmm. part of the medication that diabetics are on requires you to get carbs to make sure it's working, to make sure your body is processing those things. And so restricting it could also make you sick. Um, So keto diet, garbage. Uh, Incredibly restrictive, absurd. Um, This one is one of my favorite dumb diets Mm -hmm. because everyone sounds so dumb when they talk about it. The paleo diet. (laughs) (laughs) which the whole idea is that you're eating like our ancestors Ooh, Mm -hmm. um it's Mm -hmm. really restrictive because the idea is like you can't eat the stuff that the cavemen wouldn't have had uh i (laughs) guess so no grains no refined sugar no processed foods no dairy no legumes like lentils or beans no farting if you're on the paleo diet. (laughs) Um, So let's debunk it. Uh, Hunters and gatherers did eat carbs okay Um, okay. good foundation to start with (laughs) yeah so you're wrong already also there's no one paleo diet like people in different cultures have always eaten different foods because they're eating what the land gives them not every country had the same livestock not every country had the same plants that would grow there there's no one paleo diet shut up you dumb people (laughs) <laughs> um also our bodies have evolved eat modern foods like come on mm-hmm. guys we mm-hmm. can process the foods we have paleo diet
0: garbage garbage number two yeah garbage number
1: two. um this one i think is like incredibly insidious um the whole 30 because it's like the idea is that you are taking 30 days to um be incredibly restrictive and the thought behind it is it's to help you get rid of your cravings for these things forever by cutting Mm. them out for 30 days. So, like cutting out all sugar, all sweeteners, all grains, all legumes, all dairy, all alcohol for 30 days. And then the idea is that you will not have cravings for those things anymore. Um, But surprise, surprise, when you restrict things, you want them more guys. Like that's not going to get rid of your cravings. When you put something in a bad category, your brain becomes so obsessive about it. And it like becomes a thing you're putting on a pedestal. If you say I cannot eat ice cream anymore, all you're going to want is ice cream. If mm-hmm. you say I can have ice cream, occasionally, yeah. you're not going to want it as much guys like it's obs- the 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 messed up thinking your brain gets in when you go on these restrictive diets, sucks so mm-hmm. bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and because it's so restrictive it espouses the idea that your worthiness is tied up to your weight that your appearance and your ability to resist temptation and it becomes a moral failing if you fail to do the whole 30 um which hi hello welcome to eating disorder land man
0: Mm -hmm. you're right Mm -hmm. there
1: um so Whole30, garbage, garbage, garbage. I've known so many people who've done the Whole30. And their social media presences during this time are all about food, all about yep. what they can't have, all about... I'm so proud of myself that I didn't eat a donut today. I'm so proud of myself that I only have five days left. I can't mm-hmm. wait to have my cheat day mm-hmm. at the mm-hmm. end. And it's like, guys, come on. It's I yeah. get it. I mean, we all grew up in it and it sucks, but... You, when you go on these incredibly restrictive diets, you're making your whole life about food and your whole worth about food, and that's so
0: so damaging. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I. Yeah, have, I mean, I yeah. think. Sorry, I think like one thing to say is like. W- like we get the desire to lose weight, right? Yeah, like it is, definitely. it is the ocean that we swim in. It has been pumped into us as like the key to success and beauty and health and wellness. And these diets are really, really tempting in a lot of ways because they are often pitched as like holistic and or quick fixes yes. to a lifetime of thoughts that you've had about your body because of diet culture. Yeah. And like the people who participate, like we get it, right? Like we get wanting to, to participate in these diets. It's such like a high to think that like, this is going to be it. This is the fresh start. This is the thing, but it's so damaging. Like the, yeah. the end product is so damaging, um, in a lot of ways. But anyway, we've done through. We've gone through three garbage ones. Yes, three garbage. Is there more?
1: Yeah, this is I think a super hot one right now. Intermittent fasting Mm
0: -hmm, (laughs) is -hmm. super
1: big, especially with tech bros because they want to. (laughs) uh, My ex is a tech bro, so I have an opinion about (laughs) people who want to sit in a dark room and code and not look at anyone for Mm -hmm. fifty-five hours. But this feels personal, yeah. <laughs> it's a bit personal. But the idea behind it is that um, you're only allowed to eat within an eight-hour window during the day, mm-hmm. um, which the, only, the studies that they did, the only link they found between that and weight loss is that it may result in calorie restriction just because you're eating for less hours of the day. Mm-hmm. But they also found in the study that you know, a lot of people didn't actually lose weight from intermittent fasting, and a lot of people actually lost muscle mass because of it. Yeah. Um. So it can be incredibly damaging, like all of these. Mm-hmm. Um. Mm-hmm. So we've debunked four diets that you might be seeing on social media right now. Yeah. Um. And I think it's important to just talk about, like, there's nothing wrong with wanting to feel good, your body feel healthy, yeah. making sure you're taking care of yourself like that is important. Um, but there's no quick fix. And that's what diet culture sells you. It sells you the idea that if you just follow these strict rules, you'll wake up and you'll be tinier. And the fact is like, some people will never be tinier. Their bodies are just bigger bodies and that's okay. And that is perfectly fine.
0: Yeah. And I think like, like where I like come down on a lot of this is that like diets inherently take you out of touch with your body. Right. Like they, they impose these artificial rules that you're supposed to follow, which completely disengages you from listening to your own body's signals. Right. And I think that like the way, what that does is it makes you not trust your body. Right. And some of the, like, sometimes like if you There will be times when you start craving vegetables. There will be times when you crave sweets and all of those things are okay. And just normal being in touch with your body and allowing those things to happen is a, I think like, I don't want to be prescriptive, but at the same time, it's like dieting, isn't the solution. Correct. Countless studies have proven that like diets can be sort of successful for initial weight loss for quite a few people, but only a tiny, tiny fraction of people are able to maintain weight loss for more than two to three years. Yeah, And then you've put yourself through this restrictive um, food obsessed like a uh, good bad moralistic judgment of yourself and your behaviors around food for this diet that ultimately isn't a solution and yeah. it takes you out of touch with your body and your body's natural ability to help you find foods that taste good that yeah. are nutritious and fulfilling i mean we'll have to do a whole other episode about like access to quality food and yeah
1: I mean that's like, literally like, a hard pivot right yeah. where I'm going um yeah. I mean I you know we've we've outlined like how we see diet culture pervading culture today but I just want to talk a little bit about the impact of that like what does it do to people and I think one of the biggest insidious things about diet culture is it ignores the systemic issues that actually lead to people having higher processed food diets, higher carbohydrate diets, because the thing is, healthy food is expensive. And so I think it's incredibly insidious that diet culture makes the systemic issue that, you know, stems from poverty, lack of access to affordable, healthy options, like food deserts, you could do a whole episode on food deserts. Mm -hmm. Um, And it makes it a moral issue. It makes it a moral failing. We, as a society, look at fat people and we assume
0: that they're doing something wrong, that they are bad in some way. It's um, so intersectional, right? Incredibly. And it's, and it's so complicated. And some people just have bigger bodies. Some people just have bigger bodies. And and we use weight and appearance as a way to make snap judgments in a way that I think for other sort of aspects of marginalization, we may have come to terms with the fact that like, oh, no, we shouldn't make snap judgments based on race, ethnicity, uh, like a lot of gender, like, you know, yeah. like a lot of these things. But I think society still feels very comfortable making snap judgments based on people's body sizes. Yeah. And that's something that we have to dismantle. And yeah, because diet
1: culture has sold us the lie that anybody can be thin. Mm -hmm. And so we have all drank that Kool-Aid and we all believe Mm -hmm. even, even me, like I, you know, I have, we'll get to our personal journeys in a minute, but like I have lived in a fat body my entire life and I am still unpacking the fat phobia that I've internalized my entire life. And it's hard, man. It's Mm -hmm. hard to take that stuff out of here um, I did want to touch on one last point about how it's yeah. impacting people. We have to talk about it. Eating disorders, man. Like, obviously, we have diet culture is a, a gateway <laughs> to eating disorders. And, you know, we, we know the classic ones. I don't really want to get super into them because it can be incredibly triggering for people. Um, I want to talk about this newer diagnosis that came around in the 90s um, that is an obsessive focus on healthy eating. Marked by an increasingly restrictive set of rules called orthorexia, um, which I think also ties into this, you know, shift we talked about from diet culture to wellness culture, the, you know, fixation on like eating only healthy food, not being able to think about other things, becoming incredibly obsessive in your social media accounts, who you're following, following all these healthy things, like even putting health on a pedestal as opposed to thinness can also lead people down a bad road, um, which is really hard. Um, and then I want to share a quote with, um, with you from a woman named Jennifer Rollin who did an interview with U.S. News and she's a social worker who specializes in eating disorders. And she said, um, want to know the easiest way to become obsessed with certain foods and potentially start binging them? Cut them out of your diet. When we restrict certain foods, it increases the appeal and may cause us to feel out of control around them. Restrictive diets have real potential for harm. And I think that just sums it up so much. Like, when we demonize things, they become giants in our mind. And then mm-hmm. we have to take the power away from food. We have to stop calling things bad or good. Stop talking about cheating. We're yeah. not cheating. It's not a moral failing to have a donut. You're not a bad person for indulging, mm-hmm. you're not a good person for eating broccoli. <laughs>
0: the two are not the two are not equivalent
1: no they're not but we you know there's nothing wrong with celebrating taking care of yourself Mm -hmm. but it's a slippery slope to demonize yourself for indulging like every human does we wouldn't have created alcohol and drugs if we didn't like to (laughs) indulge as a human race yeah yeah
0: absolutely uh well thank you so much for that summary of present day impact again i feel like we've introduced several new episode topics that we have to do deeper dives on definitely um i thought it could be helpful to pivot real quickly to something that you alluded to um earlier around talking through some of our a little bit of our own journey with diet culture and then some things that have been sort of like helpful for us in kind of breaking up with diet culture yeah so um I figured I would go first since you just did a whole bunch of talking please Um, do let me have a small talking break (laughs) so um I do want to call out that like I come at this experience with a lot of thin privilege right and like what I mean by thin privilege just a couple quick examples is like yeah I can show up to a space and expect that I'm going to be able to find a piece of furniture that accommodates me, right? Or that I'm going to be able to fit into public transport comfortably, that I can go into a store and expect to find clothes that fit me, and that people in general don't look at me and think that they can make a snap judgment about my health based on my body size. Those are just some like sort of quick examples of what sort of thin privilege embodies and I think it's important to call that out as I talk about my own experience like with with diet culture but I think like a lot of us I spent years invested in diet culture and really tried a lot of the things that we have talked about on this on this podcast it's the ocean that we swim in so it's understandable and then I also have spent years trying to break up with diet culture and it's an ongoing journey because in a lot of ways in So many ways, it's still the ocean that we swim in, even though I am being intentional in my journey of breaking up with diet culture. But... And this shouldn't be substituted for like health advice. Please speak to like your <laughs> providers. But here are a few things that was that were helpful in my journey was doing a lot of reading on health at every size, intuitive eating, feminist writing on beauty myths. And next up on my list is reading uh, Fearing the Black Body by Sabrina Strings so that I can gain a better understanding of the intersections of racism and anti-fatness and um, Reading helps sort of like raise my own personal awareness of what's going on with my own journey, but then also helps me understand larger systemic issues related to anti-fatness and how diet culture has helped to establish and uphold this thin ideal. And as well, a lot of other privileges that intersect with with the thin ideal. Mm-hmm. I got rid of my bathroom scale years ago. It was just a dumb tyrant that was like sitting on the floor in my, like in my house every day, like got rid of it and I haven't missed it one fucking day of my life. I have not (laughs) missed the scale. I encourage it. Um, I've worked on, I worked on getting to a place of neutrality with my body before I could come to anything like body love, like just getting to a place of like, there is nothing wrong with this. As opposed yeah. to like trying to jump immediately into like I love everything about me because some <laughs> days I don't. Um, and then I diversified my social media, started following thought leaders, fat activists, and um, I hesitate to say body positive people, but I think there are still some really good body positive accounts out there sure. that people can find, and we can add them to yeah. the to the um, to the list. And then I try to push back on diet culture when I encounter it in my everyday life. Mm -hmm. Um, And then finally, finally, like, I don't beat myself up when I have an encounter or a thought of I want to lose weight. It's literally been pushed on to me my entire life as the solution to like every fucking problem I have. And it takes a long time to come back from that narrative. And so I try not to beat myself up when I do still encounter that, like, oh, it'd be great if I could lose whatever, you yeah. know, amount of of weight. Um, so that's what's been helpful for me. What's, what's your journey been like and what's been helpful for you?
1: Yeah. So, you know, my journey has been a little different. Um, I'm going to use a term that Aubrey Gordon uses in her book, just going to reference it constantly because it's so good. Um, so she uses Um, a couple definitions to describe like gradations of fatness, which also references how close, what its proximity to thinness is and the privilege that come with that. So, um, according to her definitions, I'm a small fat, um, that's generally like people on the lower end of plus size, like size 14 to 16, which basically means I can shop and store some places, not everywhere, some places I have to order online. I'm the smallest size at Torrid, uh, which is a pretty amazing uh, plus size website, which loves a lot of great clothes. But, you know, my journey, I've always been in a bigger body. I started wearing plus size clothes when I was in high school. And I was so pressured by the world to be smaller. It felt like my fault in some way even though from the beginning of my life i was just a chubby little kid like some kids are built differently and people have always felt open to comment on my body to assume behaviors um of me because of that when i was in high school i had um i was incredibly active in high school doing stuff all the time uh but you know wasn't small and i had a friend who was a dancer who one summer i was interested in starting like a workout plan with her uh, because I really like dancing too. And I wanted to do this stuff with her. And there was a day where I ended up canceling. because I wasn't feeling good. And I ended up finding out that two of my male friends were talking about the fact that I canceled and being like, yeah, of course, Heather canceled. You know, she's, she's falling back. She's not going to commit to this. Um, Mm -hmm. And I never worked out with that friend again. I felt so ashamed that people were one paying attention To that, why was it anyone's business what I was doing with another friend if I was choosing to exercise or not? And also, why did anyone feel the need to talk about it? And so it made me feel I've always felt incredibly visible, um, which is hard. You know, when I get on the bus, I feel visible. I'm very aware of the amount of space I'm taking up. You know, the pandemic has made that a little different because people aren't as close to you on public transit anymore, but I can't tell you how many times people have felt so just righteous and like bumping me on public Mm. transportation. Like it was a crime that I was taking up space. Um, And so that's so incredibly hard. And so I've had a hard journey with it. I have been in and out of dieting my whole life, constantly thinking about it. I've tried so many different things. At one point, um, when I was diagnosed with hypothyroidism, a doctor told me to go gluten-free. I don't know why. Um, I tried that, (laughs) but I found that when I was gluten-free, all i did was find gluten-free substitutes for things so i just ate gluten-free chicken nuggets every day it's like this isn't better than eating like just eating a salad um yeah and i would say like my you know lowest point i was so obsessively counting calories i had a calorie counter on my phone i I remember there was one night, um, this was my first year living in Chicago where I just wanted <laughs> hot Cheetos so bad. I just wanted them so bad. I thought I was going to lose my mind. And so I counted delicious. out. They're amazing. They're so yeah. yummy and they're spicy and they're crunchy. they everyone mm-hmm. loves a crunchy snack. Yes. Um, But I like counted out like five hot Cheetos or something like that. And I was like, this is what I can have. Mm -hmm. And it it was I realized I was like getting to a point when I was like flirting with an eating disorder. And I recognized that I was taking up my whole mind. And so I deleted the app from my phone. I would recommend people delete calorie counting apps from their phone they are such a such a slippery slope to becoming Mm -hmm. obsessive about the amount of food you're eating and I just started trying really hard to restructure my thinking about my body and trying to like just like you talked about body neutrality just like what is my body doing for me every day what are the things it's doing and I need to give it energy to do those things It's been helpful to really do a ton of research about diet culture and the ways that it lies. I think one of my biggest brain blast moments was when I found out that the BMI is full of crap, which is something that has been like, yes, one hundred percent. But you know, the a whole BMI. episode on BMI. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's been held over my head my whole life. I've always been overweight to obese based off of the BMI, even when I was like incredibly active at my healthiest. And it's when I learned that, I literally like my mouth gaped open. I felt like I heard a choir singing. I was like, I'm off the hook. Yes. <laughs> I don't have to worry about this anymore. Um, yeah, you know, exploring different Fat activists on social media has helped out, podcast books, and also just like learning to listen and learning to know like, I'm sore. I need to stretch. I'm antsy. I need to go on a walk. I'm hungry. What does my body want? Today, my body wanted a salad and a slice of pizza. And so I had a salad and a slice of pizza because that's what they brought us at work today. Mm -hmm. And I've like learned to love cooking vegetables. I've learned to like stop making them... This like perfect, I have to eat this food and just like a food to investigate and explore. Um, This past year, I learned how to cook Brussels sprouts. And I'm like, wow, I love Brussels sprouts. That's fun. Mm -hmm. And just trying to reframe things as like not a punishment. Exercise is not a punishment. Eating a vegetable is not a punishment for my moral failings of having a fat body. Mm -hmm. Exercise is something that helps me feel good. Vegetables are things that help me feel good. And, you know, like I was talking about interrogating my own fat phobia that's inside my head and being thoughtful about what I put into the world. Not posting things on my social media that could be triggering for someone about their bodies. Not body checking. They talk about that a lot on TikTok. (laughs) Um, Body checking is like, You know, those classic like, oh, look, if I pooch my stomach, out, I can look differently and just removing words um, like I'm being bad or I'm cheating when I talk about food. Like Mm -hmm. just get those words out of your mouth because they're not helping. And language has so much power to frame the way we think and we give power to that idea in our brain it's doing so much damage. Um, So I I would say like a lot of mine have just been like really like thoughtful behavioral things, like trying to look at what I'm doing. How can I treat myself better? How can I be kind to myself? Mm -hmm. Um, Which I think is so important because the world's hard enough to you without you being mean to yourself as well. (laughs)
0: Yeah. <laughs> yes it's been hard out here yes. since the 1800s at least since right the 1800s <laughs>
1: when they invented the idea of taking off all of your clothes <laughs> behind a door <laughs> and putting on other people's clothes it's been hard be nice yeah. to yourself
0: yeah it's been hard out here for a long time long time um I, I love all of those, uh, pieces of advice and encourage like listeners to find what works for them, right? Like yeah. there isn't one solution. Definitely. Um, do a lot of reading, listening to some podcasts. We're going to go through real quick, just some people that we follow on, um, social media and or books that we've found helpful. We'll drop all of links to all of them in the show notes. Yeah. Like for me, I love Virgie Tovar. I'll I'll drop links to her stuff. She has books. She has an Instagram account. She has a podcast. I saw her one time at the San Francisco Bay Area Charles Dickens Christmas Fair and just like (laughs) was like, oh my gosh, it's a celebrity that I see on Instagram every day. She's lovely. If you're interested in learning more about health at every size, I would check out Lindo Bacon's work. They are amazing at writing about these topics and really sort of sharing a lot of like the scientific stuff around what dieting tries to do to your body and how your body is amazing at (laughs) outwitting all of that shit. Um, So we'll include links to their work in the show notes. Um, And then also would say, like, if you have a library card, check out the Libby app. You can get these for a lot of these books um, through your local library or try to shop local. And then also we'll include some links to Christy Harrison's podcast. Um, She just goes into much deeper detail on so many of these topics in a way that's really helpful. And um, I'll pass it over to Heather now for some of her
1: her top top Um, folks so I, i talked about it constantly um aubrey gordon is an incredible fat activist she's also a queer woman and she recently wrote a book that just came out called what we don't talk about when we talk about fat i'm like a third of the way through it right now and it is so incredibly well researched so much amazing information so many statistics so many things and it's staggering like I like have to take breaks because I'm just like wow like this is all lies um and she also has a podcast if you're not a book person called Maintenance Phase which she hosts with um a man named Michael Hobbs which is so fun and it just debunks diet culture they have an episode (laughs) about Dr. Oz they have an episode about The Biggest Loser which is one of my favorite ones because they really take that terrible reality TV show to task. Yes. Um, they really go for it and talk about how incredibly harmful that was. And my family was a, the biggest loser family. So I do have a lot of deep connections <laughs> to that one. <laughs> um, if you're looking for something that is more like, um, you know, what we don't talk about when we talk about fat has like a little bit of personal story, but it is also very, very, much more of a wider view of um fatness and fat activism but if you're looking for a more personalized story um shrill by lindy west the book is great it is not all about um diet culture or fatness but she does have some essays in it that are directly about that and she also has some incredibly great feminist pieces and talks about rape culture which is a whole other thing Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. And there's a whole new TV show starring A.D. Bryant, which is super fun. And I would say that show is great for, you know, coming to terms with your internalized fat phobia and watching a show celebrate fat bodies in a way I've never seen before. And yeah, it's a lot for you to investigate how you react watching it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And if you are interested, if you've got some spare dollars lying around and you would like to give some money some places two places i would recommend is you could donate to the national eating disorders association which you can find them at national eating disorders.org to help support them on the work they're doing to help people with eating disorders research to help support getting over eating disorders all that stuff and if you're interested in supporting the fat activism movement which is a whole three part episode i'm sure um, i know <laughs> <laughs> you could donate to the national association to advance fat acceptance which their website is naafa.org ah oh,
0: so much good stuff mm-hmm. and I feel like we've talked about like a lot of heavy stuff. On oh yeah, I'm the tired. Show. <laughs> I know. I was like, "Oh man, we've covered a lot and it happens every episode." So, yeah. I would love to close with a segment that I'm calling shit that legit doesn't matter Ooh. because we just talked about a lot of shit that matters.
1: Definitely. Um
0: so you mentioned at the at the top in your bio that you are a TV enthusiast and I am I was wondering, like, you also like in some of our phone calls, you also mentioned that, like, I love my crazy ex-girlfriend. And so I came up with this question. Okay. I was like, is there a TV show that is not a musical that you would like to see translated into a musical?
1: Okay, this is fun. I love this. What a nice palette cleanser! Um, yes, love Crazy Ex-Girlfriends. If you haven't seen it, please watch it. It is so great. Not about fatness, but it is about mental health, and that is another thing I'm passionate about. Uh, mm-hmm. And also musical theater. I do have a theater degree. <laughs> it's giving me nothing. <laughs> um, uh, so okay, um, if I were to turn a non-musical TV show into musical. I think I have two answers. I have an answer of something that I think would be garbage but fun. Mm-hmm. And something I think that will like actually like improve the story. So okay. I'll do the garbage one first. I think a musical version of Pretty Little Liars would be the most exquisite trash
0: because right. the
1: drama on that show is so heightened that like it's surprising that they aren't bursting out into song constantly because boy everything is the end of the world um and i also my i i started re-watching pretty little liars this weekend because i had a cold which i haven't had in a year mm-hmm. and i coped by watching trash um but my favorite part of every pretty liars episode is at the very end right before the credits when we check in to see what a's up to and a's doing like little arts and crafts and mm-hmm. talking to shop workers i think there would be an incredible little mini song at the end of every episode of hb like Scooboop be doop making this little heart i'm not gonna send it you're never gonna see it again it's just for me oh my gosh we already have like you already
0: have a hook I love it
1: yeah um so I think that one would be just delicious trash mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um but one I think actually could like improve um I have complicated feelings about Marvel um because capitalism ruins everything mm. um but I Uh, I think WandaVision, which I have complicated feelings about um, because Marvel and Synergy and trying to set up the next phase of the movie franchise when they had a really good story. um, (laughs) But I think WandaVision should have been a musical I mean you already have this like heightened reality because they're doing the different TV tropes so you Mm -hmm. could explore different genres of music in each episode along with exploring different genres of TV tropes um And could you imagine when we break out of the, like, TV land and Wanda just... Spoiler alert. Oh, I'm so sorry. Spoiler alert for WandaVision. What have you been doing? Uh, (laughs) But could you imagine just Wanda, like, truly being Wanda and singing this, like, intense rock ballad about all of Mm -hmm. her trauma? Mm That would be incredible. I love that. Do you have... A TV show that should be a
0: musical. Um I don't know if it should be a musical, but it is what I've been watching recently. So okay. I'm gonna go with that. But yeah. I recently started like season four of the handmaid's tale. Oh my god, heavy. And,
1: like so
0: <laughs> heavy and just devastating each yeah. episode. Yeah. And so part of me was like See, all of this already gives me lots of emotions. I feel yeah. like it could be even more heightened with with music mm-hmm. and like musical treatment. Sure. And then I was also thinking like in musicals, there's always like the plucky comic relief character, right? <laughs> Which I feel like the handmaid tale could like use a it dash. It needs up. it. It needs
1: yeah. it needs them to take that filter off the camera that makes everything so
0: desolate at all times. <laughs> Oh, and like I don't know who that character would be but I'm like I'm gonna sit I'm gonna sit with this idea that's that I'm having and think about it I
1: mean if you went Disney musical it could be a fun little animated animal sidekick yes yes oh, oh my Fred's gosh. going around with a little raccoon that's like tap dancing all the time and she's like shut up they're gonna catch us and yeah. the raccoon's like but I gotta
0: tap oh my god we have found the solution yeah. yes <laughs> we can make that more promos- like, watchable. I was like also like with all the costuming I feel like there's some great opportunity like all the matching outfits Ooh. lots of great dance numbers mm-hmm. big choral numbers yeah I feel yeah. like but that raccoon, ooh, that raccoon would steal the show. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah, um, definitely. Handmaid's Tale should be a musical. It should either go animated Disney movie style with a Animal Companion or Chicago jazz style. And they take off their little red robes and they've got like little flapper red dresses and they do a bunch of
0: fossy moves. Um, because why not? Well, holy shit, Heather. <laughs> like, we got to talk to you and get you talking to some people at a studio somewhere yeah
1: yeah someone please hire me i would love to
0: quit my day job oh don't tell them we won't we won't tell them yeah (laughs) we just want you to use your theater degree yeah that's all we're trying to do yeah i was trying to you know (laughs) cash in
1: all those loans that have been sitting there not paid ever since the pandemic started great oh what a great time yeah um the one positive of this year It's student loans being frozen.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I also have that. <laughs> Just like in the back of my mind, like, hmm, not this month. Great. <laughs> um, That's future well, Kate's problem. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, Heather, it has been a delight. Thank you so much for coming on the show today and talking about this very intense issue. And yeah. we only skimmed the surface. Like, yeah. But um, I think that, we will include lots of helpful links in show notes, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Okay?
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It was a lot of fun, despite the heavy topic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like the Handmaid's Tale, like which will be the a Handmaid's musical. Tale, which will either be a Fosse musical or a, the new Disney Princess.
0: Yeah. Oh, Fred. <laughs> we have so many things to work on. <laughs> oh, thanks, Heather. Thanks, Kate. Equally Funny is produced by me, Kate Rogan, in collaboration with each episode's co host. Our intro music is by Tim Durier, and our cover art is by Rachel Nevers. Episodes are edited and mixed by Area Code. If you're looking to get in touch, reach out to EquallyFunnyPodcast at gmail.com. You can also find and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at EquallyFunnyPod equally funny is a part of the trident network to learn more about our videos live shows and other podcasts please visit the tridentnetwork.com